Can you believe this? What's even happening? Disney giving the guy a contract one day and then firing him just a few weeks later? Come on, Disney, what's happening in there? We wanna know this conversation and many other things. So we did this special edition of Hollywood Breaks. Welcome and enjoy. Holy cow, Keith, I thought we were gonna take this week off from Hollywood Breaks. Never. When we, last Friday when we recorded, we were somewhat bantering about it. Actually, we were a week ahead when the quarterly reports were released. But Disney didn't hesitate. There was some swift moves over this weekend, wasn't there, with the replacing of Bob with Bob, Bob. two with Bob one. <laughs> Bob two with Bob one point five? Two point oh? Three point oh? Is it appropriate to say they're bobbing in and out of this thing? Is that how but <laughs> 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 um bum Tim? Wow. Tip your wagers on your way out, everybody. Um, Clearly the quarterly report fiasco yes. is so, was the tipping point. I think I think from what I've been able to surmise just from talking to people and reading um that was sort of the straw the the quarterly earnings well again not horrible i mean they did have a a a pretty fantastic run with the parks but the loss in streaming was i think not expected and that contrasted with his cheery tone on the call i think And then followed up two days or three days later with a letter to the entire company. Hey, we're going to have to make cuts and there might be layoffs. It was just very disjointed. And from what I can tell, there was also some, uh, apparently, Christine McCarthy, the CFO, has going to the board and saying, I don't really have faith in his leadership anymore. Um, so that was sort of... And a couple of board members, I want to say, that were defending him early on were... Everyone kind of recognized it. Uh, Susan Arnold, the chair woman of the board was his apparently his biggest advocate and when it came to i mean there had been apparently board members who were not happy with you know a lot of what chapik had done throughout his tenure um but they she championed him and championed his um contract renewal and then i think it was just once he lost the confidence of a lot of like the senior leaders and killing the cfo i think that's when they felt they had to make a move um they had apparently identified some interim CEOs who are at Disney, but they didn't decline to identify who those were, but they didn't feel they were ready. So apparently they, Susan picked up the phone on Friday at 3 p.m., called Bob and Iger and said, would you be willing to come back? And <clears throat> the deal was done by Sunday night, and Sunday night is when the announcement went out. And I mean, it, it, it's stunning in how quick it happened and also that Jamie got no statement, nothing. Probably got a phone call, said, you're our lawyers, call our lawyers, and that was the end of it. And uh, now he's uh, he's gone. And then as of yesterday, Kareem Daniel, his number two, who was running the Disney Media and Entertainment Distribution Unit, is out as well. Well, that's what one of my first questions when I heard the news. Because, you know, we've yeah. been talking about Kareem since the mm-hmm. minute he got his position. Yep. There was clearly some initiative in that move with Kareem to say, hey, let's focus on some business principles here. We're going to mm-hmm. have distribution unknown kind of handled by data or some kind of business team that's going to decide it yeah um which we we kind of said offhandedly that the reality is is you don't know what you're making your content for you basically right. make content and then later on it would be ter- determined where it went so you'll make the determination of yeah right exactly yeah so so understanding of audience and blending audience is not mm-hmm. there now let's let's just back up a little bit. So for those people who are catching up with this, JPEG mm-hmm. was formerly the president of the parks. And Correct. when Iger left, he was announced as CEO and running the parks. 
Soon mm-hmm. after Chapek took over, the pandemic hit. Yeah. So there was some understanding that no one was prepared to run Disney at that right. moment because no one had had ever deal with that situation before. Yeah. Iger did stay on for a while though, right? Yes. He kind of helped through the transition. He stayed but I want to say Iger's voice was one of the first voices that said maybe this is not the right person. So he he though he was part of the transition, he was also an early one to recognize it wasn't the right person. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that the <laughs> Succession of, of Disney post Agar has always been a complicated matter. Um, Tom Staggs, who was at the time, I believe, the head of the parks, was initially anointed as a successor, and then Iger lost confidence in him. And so he was put out to pasture. Uh, then Kevin Mayer, who was the head of the, um, the direct consumer division, was supposedly in the running, and then he didn't get it. Um, I've read some reports that Chapik was actually identified in 2018 as the successor, he was told you are the heir apparent. Um, So there might've been some training involved there. Um, And then there's always, you know, February, 2020, it's sort of the announcement was made. So a lot of people have inferred that uh, Iger was hearing from his contacts in China about Corona. And he kind of wanted to step off before the the shit hit the fan, (laughs) if you will. Right. Right. Um, But he was staying on. If you're going to exit anyway, might as well just prepare. But he was staying on as executive chairman. Um, And I think, uh, you know, supposedly to really be involved more in the creative side of the business, not necessarily in the, you know, operations of it. And I, I don't think that sat well with Chapik and I don't think their relationship ever recovered. And then once Bob left, Iger, that is, and, um, you know, the sniping, I think, from behind the scenes continued. And that it's not mm. helpful at any way when you, you know, you <laughs> leave a company and you continue to berate your chosen successor. Um, so I, I don't think that helped matters either. But, you know, listen, let's be so, honest. JPEG made some very silly mistakes early on. So let's talk about a few of those. So let's recount some of what happened here, too. So early on, some of the missteps he had was... Um, the one I remember this comes to my mind first is the contract dispute he had or the Black Scarlet. Widow issue he had yep. with Scarlett Johansson. Yep. And then the move to not recognize that the creative is what makes this industry happen and not put right. the creative and not kind of think yep. through that whole moment. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that was the first big one because, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. This is The industry is built on relationships. I mean, you could say every business is built on relationships, but the entertainment industry is a, a, a very select group of people and it's a very small group of people um, and it's all relationship based. And he kind of came in kind of like a bull in the China shop and took on probably the most powerful agent, Brian Lord um, at CAA, who was Scott's agent. And they tried to, you know, they released a statement basically, you know, calling her out saying, oh, Look at the 80 million. Look at the super wealthy woman complaining about her $40 million salary. Oh, yeah. Remember that whole quote? That was crazy. <laughs> Which was not smart move. Um, they, I think they were trying to play into the economics of it to try to get people to their side. It was silly and stupid. I mean, these, these, these disputes happen often, but they never spill out in the open like this. And that was his first big boo-boo because that was sort of like, a, like, okay, this guy doesn't get us. The creatives are saying this. And then he turns around and completely pulls PL and control over budgets away from all these creatives that were run these divisions and gives it to a guy in Kareem Daniel who didn't have any creative experience. He's a Goldman Sachs guy who came up from Imagineering, 
and you know was always sort of chapix number two so everyone's like who is this guy and we don't really know what the heck what this division is and you know when they announced it chapix was like well you know you'll understand what it is and we you know you'll 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 figure it out as it grows then it'll all make sense and <laughs> well into a year of it everyone was still like i don't understand what this is like what does he do what how does this relate to the content and so there's a lot of confusion and i, I don't think there was as much buy-in as he led on when it first started uh so i think that was also an issue that a lot of the creatives yeah i think he was supposed to be like a wall street darling like somebody that could understand the bigger picture always kind of speak yeah. the data right hopefully if he feels a little bit like chapik was trying to have um like a board of of um leaders that could help him understand and navigate through the times instead of being a certain visionary leader himself or specific visionary leader himself. What's interesting about it is, so Iger, his whole career, one of his biggest accomplishments was breaking down the what was called during the Eisner era, the strategic planning group, which was basically this huge org, org of like MBA guys and accountants who kind of were making a lot of decisions about what Disney was going to do in terms of what they were going to make and what companies they were going to go after. And Iger made it his first, you know, big initiative to dismantle that so that there could be more decision pushed down to sort of the vision heads and the creatives, the ones who actually live, eat, sleep, and breathe the, the, the stories and the product. And this felt like a return to that, I think, for a lot of longtime Disney folk. And it it was just felt like another extra layer of bureaucracy that was not necessary. And I think Iger kind of saw it that way. That was one of his biggest critiques. He didn't really like what Iger, what Chapik was doing. Um, and I think he had a lot of allies still at Disney, obviously. And I think he was letting his opinion be known and not helpful again. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. But at the same time, it's not exactly, I mean, like, like I said at the beginning, none of this makes anybody look good, really, yeah. to be honest. No, I think that, uh, listen, there obviously has to be a response to Wall Street. There was always been a play in Wall Street. Wall Street appreciated all the Disney Plus growth because that was part of what was happening right. in the same era. And no one was doubting that that wasn't a positive thing. Um, the way they were going after Netflix viewers, the way that actually the industry has been shaken up a little bit mm -hmm. because there's a competitive platform. I would say that the Disney Plus platform has not evolved very much in the last year and a half. It really is simply a place like a library where Disney is holding their material. Mm -hmm. And if you want to access that material, you pay the subscription. And a lot of people who are subscribers, I'm going to guess, watch Frozen 100 times. And it's a great $10 <laughs> a month for them to do it, right? Yes, yes. But so there was a moment where I guess it was um, a reaction that was going positive compared to other people in the industry that we've talked about plenty in our podcast that were responding poorly to the platforms, were, um, weren't possibly competing in the right place, even the misbranding of the HBO Max platform. Yeah. There were a lot of also missteps. If you don't know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about, listen to our episodes about Peacock. It's very clear <laughs> who's failing in this game. Disney did not fail that process. Well, yeah. And that is under Chapek's era as well. Right. So there was plenty of reason to believe he was going to do it. Mm -hmm. But really, it was recently looking at the losses that made the big move. And Wall Street's right. not going to deal with a $1.5 billion loss, which is what was announced for the Q3 numbers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, if you think about how it's all evolved. So when Disney Plus first launched, it was under Iger. 
Iger was the one who pushed the low price point because it was sort of, he wanted to get out early. He wanted to undercut Netflix, get as many subs as possible. Because at the time, if you all remember all those two years ago, Wall Street was big on subs, subscription numbers. That was what was driving. That's why everyone was crazy about Netflix because they were growing. And it was like, look how many subscriptions they have. And then Disney Plus comes along with Hamilton and then they explode onto the scene. So everyone was like, subscribers, subscribers. And then all of a sudden, Netflix has their miss. And then Wall Street resets and says, wait a minute. They missed their number. How are they going to start making money? And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, how are we going to make money off this? And it's sort of like the coin sort of flipped. And now it's not necessarily just about subscribers anymore. It's about how are you going to make money off this? And the fact that Disney goes on that earnings call and showcases that once you factor in revenue and the loss, they lost almost $4 billion, it looks like, in one quarter on content. That is a terrible number. And yes, it was offset by record numbers at the, the theme resorts, parks. the theme yeah. parks, but the margins are shrinking and there's rumblings about the, the park themselves. So I think a lot of this is also driven by the fact that Iger, who obviously eats, sleeps, and breathes Disney and had in his tenure, I think he was worried that the brand itself was suffering. And sure. um, because of sort of, you know, we've talked about the dipping quality of Marvel movies. We've talked about the dipping quality of material on Disney Plus that's not Marvel or Star Wars. Um, and yeah. the complaints that are coming about the park, people are starting to complain about the cost and how every, they feel like they're getting nickel and dime. And it doesn't feel like it's, a trip for middle-class families anymore. It feels like it's becoming a trip for only those who are sort of in the upper crust of society, which is not Walt Disney's vision. Though I'd say the park is also one of his steps. Interesting because he was the president of parks. He actually yeah. had a couple of missteps with the parks. One, yeah. right, the latest is the, the price, but even before that, taking on the state of Florida yeah. and try, trying to figure out how to navigate that, clearly, yeah. again, in a hard spot because there was some messaging within the state of Florida that Disney was quiet about the basic, mm -hmm. you know, Chepe basically said, we're not part of the politics. Let's not deal with it. But yep. under pressure from, from the employees, employees. under pressure yep. from people that are fans of Disney, the social pressure was too much. And then when he came out, he basically started fighting the state instead of playing, playing it in a way that recognizing that they are a major brand, a major contributor, but recognizing their role and trying to do it diplomatically. Yep. It right. wasn't handled. That wasn't handled well. And I think that's probably the very first shot for Iger to say, hey, if I was there, I would have yeah. done something different. And that was yeah. the beginning of people ask questions. Should we do something different than have Chapek, who's kind of tone deaf to these issues? Um, should we keep him at the helm? Should we do be doing something different? And then that sounds to me like probably when the very first discussions were being were taking place of like, how do we do something different? Yeah, I think it was that. And then that sort of calmed down and it felt like he was getting his footing. And then all of a sudden there was the abrupt firing of Peter Rice, like out of nowhere, like it's announced that Peter Rice was fired and supposedly the, me the meeting to, to tell him Peter that he was fired between him and uh, he and Chapik was seven minutes or something like that. <clears throat> and he was never really given a reason. I mean, everyone knows the reason because he was a threat and Chapik wanted him gone. Um, so, but again, it was just another needless sort of controversy that he just walked into. And again, sort of months after re-upping him. Like, if you don't want the guy there, then don't give him an extend his contract. He extended his contract, yeah. and then he turned around and fired him. So it just, 
there just wasn't a lot of it just felt like he was making a lot of knee-jerk decisions not really thinking things through i mean whether or not that's true or not that's sort of the perception and i think the board was concerned and obviously he knew that the look of the sudden firing was bad because the board released a statement like the same time the announcement of the firing was released basically saying we have confidence in the decisions that Chapik is making so clearly he knew that this was not going to go over well but at the same time it was like throwing himself into an endless you know another controversy when he was really things were just really starting to settle down after the whole florida controversy the scarlet controversy the whole new kareem daniel division to you know all these things that sort of just happened and it just seemed like he was making decisions that just didn't seem like they were well thought out and i think a lot of senior senior executives started to get concerned all political like it's not, like if i were to replay that in my mind i would think something like i would the the florida misstep was something that started chaos that Iger was probably asking different questions of can he diplomatically run one of the most powerful corporations on the planet? Was Wall Street recognizing his confidence? I, I guarantee you there was investors talking to anybody that would listen. So Iger, who was as, was working for Kushner's organization, yeah, big in capital, big on the Wall Street firm, was listening to other people's advisors and reporting back or asking questions about it. So if Chapek got it, that news and he's playing politics, he's probably asking, how do I survive? Where do I go? And if Rice mm-hmm. was... A competitor of his early on, he's recognizing and trying to remove it so he can last longer. Okay, I can, I can, you can almost understand the chess game being played inside of Disney. I can understand the chess game. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I can understand that again, but it was just sort of like the, t- you know, again, then don't re up his contract because this wasn't something that came out of the blue, unless there's something that we don't know about that Peter was sort of working behind the scenes to undermine Chapik and it got back to Chapik, entirely possible. Um, but again, it just created another controversy that just really, just as things were settling, like it finally seemed like things were coming down. The parks were starting to fill up again. People were coming back to the movies. It felt like things were sort of moving in a, like he was finally getting his feet. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's another thing that, you know, people are going to start questioning. So the article I read about this is interesting because the quote that they used was the, um, the Iger wanted understands the change of putting the decision making back in the hands of the creative team. So the release of Cream Daniel, the release of Chapek, understands that creative is necessary. And if you look yeah. back for the last couple of years, even though there was billions spent on content, the reality is I can't remember any of it. I have no <laughs> idea what Disney has done. Right. I don't know if there's an advancement yeah. of the creative field. I don't know if right. they created any new brands. Pixar hasn't been a player at all. In the last right. couple of years, I don't even yeah. even later, later Iger years. I don't think there was a player play there either. There seemed to be building up these universes instead of uh, focusing back on the content. But yeah. maybe this response of like, wait, we're going to go into recession. People want entertainment. Disney mm-hmm. is a known brand. We can entertain them. Why get into all these other messes? Let's just run the business we're supposed to do. Let's get back to the basics. Yeah, uh, let's f- focus on the, the success of ESPN. Let's not uh-huh. mess that thing up or push right. things around like the, there was conversations. Let's, yeah. let's put things back to an orderly fashion while in a recession and see if we can't survive. I would say that's definitely a step in the right direction, but that's not going to change the metrics that they're looking at right now. That's not going to change the fact that linear cable is falling. Cord cutting is increasing. Sure. They don't know what to do with ESPN. They've got investors who are telling them, pressuring them to sell ESPN. The park issue is still going to have to be dealt with because they've got somewhat, you know, a lot of unhappy consumers with the park. 
So there's a lot of things that are still pot that are happening that just giving power back to the creatives and this are going to solve. I think it's going to make things a little better as far as how people feel on the Burbank lot, which is obviously important. But at the same time, he still has all these major issues that he's going to have to deal with. Like the other, the, another big question that's sort of hanging out there. Well, what about the cost cutting and layoffs that Chapik announced? Is that no longer a reality? That Iger hasn't said one way or another. No, I'm sure that's a reality. It's so much easier to replace yes. him after he does the after he does the hat trick because right. you don't envy your fault. And I'd say this, like I, you know, really truly, we know what this move is. It's a confidence move. So the issues are there. The issues need to be addressed. The question right. was, is who's Wall Street going to trust to get us through it? Well, that's so true. they don't keep yeah. on withdrawing and dropping the, the yeah. share price. So if you think Iger is the right person to get through it, then you're going to kind of diamond hand this a little bit longer, hold on to your assets, and see what's possible than yeah. selling at a loss when there's a possible gain in the future. So well, and when the announcement was made, the stock did jump like i think six percent or so which is you know not you know cat you know like whoa and a major improvement but it's still it signals that most of the investors have more trust in Iger leading the ship than chapik and i think that's ultimately what the board came around to they're like we are a listing ship right now and that that call was sort of just a disaster and clearly investors weren't buying his cheery tone followed by the letter that said, oh, wait, no, we are actually going to have to make cuts and layoffs. And I think that was just sort of the end. And they just lost complete faith in him. And I think the board realized that once your investors lose faith, you kind of have to take action. And Iger was really the only one that they could turn to in this, in this, at this point, because there really wasn't anyone else. So, I mean, the next thing so and he, he is, he has been tasked by the board as part of his deal to find a successor like that is his job his contracts up i think in december of 2024 so he has to find a successor he needs to get on that well i'm available so exactly. he should well, we're both available totally so available. if he wants to call us we can like you know split the titles right we can rev think this thing we can help <laughs> break this thing up no problem so let's talk about the future what do they need to do to clear things up right we know that they're, yeah. they're making big moves they're speculating what the issues are they're speculating mm -hmm. that wall street's going to appreciate that i Iger is the person filling in for it we mm -hmm. also know Iger as a visionary a person that bleeds mickey <laughs> in a way yeah like he knows it through and through and he was the truly the strategist that built on post-Eisner what yep. needed to be understood of what the growth is. Right. Eisner was basically pillaging all the assets. Iger got into back to back to building new assets and Marvel right. being the, one of the best successes. And, Disney, and the um, Lucas Films, another great success for them. So yep. let's speculate now because we're going to look back on this episode just a few months from now and wondering <laughs> how good we are doing this. But what do we need to do next? If you're Disney, if you're stepping in here, what are the big moves that you need to start with? Well, I think that obviously it's to take a look at your spend on the direct consumer. Obviously. Um, take a look at that, see where that's going. See if, you know, the price increase, I believe, goes through in two weeks. December 8th, I think, is when it was going through. Um, I don't think I don't foresee him forestalling that. I think he's going to let that ride and see what kind of the numbers look out there. They got to figure out what to do with ESPN. They got to figure out what to do with Hulu. Should they buy out Comcast? They probably should at this point, because um, that option I think is should be exercised. I think in 2023, um, but they have it till 2024 to exercise it. Um, I think they're going to have to look at that as a possibility, um, and just sort of 
start firing the engines again on the creative side and get back to figuring out how to monetize the content in the best possible way. Um, it's going to be interesting because he has made comments that he doesn't feel like linear cable and theatrical is ever going to bounce back to the pre-pandemic phase. So I think they have to look at, well, what what's next then? What is the next option? What do, How do we continue this? I think another thing is they got to get another Star Wars film out. I mean that that's that's gained a, four billion dollars in a weekend. Yes. This was Star Wars film, right? Well, right. and the other thing we didn't touch on, but related to Star Wars, somewhat is the Fox acquisition. There's yeah. it hasn't really been sorted out. Hasn't been a great gain for them. Avatar no. coming up. I'm almost curious if they knew what the early numbers are in Avatar as part of this decision, and not yeah. waiting for an, a downfall or explosion of crap there. Or if Eisner, I mean, sorry, if Iger knew better and thought. Well, I better become CEO before this possible yeah. upward swing and I could take credit for it. Who yeah. knows how that's going to play itself out. But um, if the Fox acquisition really is not equal to Marvel or uh, no. Lucas at this point. And there's a great library there that's not being touched and leveraged. Well, they they basically turn that in. They basically turn Fox into 20, well, excuse me, 20th century into a pipeline for Hulu. Like they basically... They took Kalar's idea, Jason Kalar, former CEO of Warner Media, who was making movies specific for HBO Max, and they took that strategy and applied it to Hulu. So, okay, you're just going to make movies, 20th century film team, you're just going to make movies for Hulu. I don't think that's necessarily the smartest game. Um, you're right. They have really great brands. There's something to, to be said for trying to develop some of that. Um, and seeing where that can potentially take them. And I think you're right. I think they probably were looking, the board holistically was looking at a lot of things. They were probably looking at you know, Black Panther 2 Wakanda forever, which is tracking below the first Black Panther, which is not spectacular. It doesn't look like yeah. it's going to match the first Black Panther. And then you've got Avatar, which if that doesn't work, you've got three sequels that are su supposed to come out. <laughs> So you get this movie's got to work. So I think there's a lot of things that we're kind of all factoring in, but I think Iger is the type because he has creative experience. You know, he has worked in a creative environment. He was a creative himself. He ran ABC. So he knows the ins and outs and he knows the people to trust. So I think that's going to play into it as well. And I think. So you're saying the big play, one of the first things that you recognize is the big play of television cleaning up uh, ESPN, recognizing the, the use that Hulu has in the yep. world, mm -hmm. ABC and understanding the platform there, mm -hmm. getting getting ahead of the cord cutters, letting people know that there's a, a need there. So we yep. know the television format. We know that there's assets sitting out there that are not leveraged and ledger pro properly. Pixar hasn't grown, created any good content. We need yep. to get back to the creatives running the field so we can get that happening again. Yep. Fox needs to be leveraged and built forward. We probably need to release a Star Wars so that we can make up for some lost assets, but we need to yep. find another platform. So Disney Plus has reason to keep the subs going. Yeah, we didn't really discuss the the issue that Disney had when Cricket was dropped in India. The whole idea of other areas that were not well managed or not retained yeah. that kept assets flowing um, outside of the U.S. marketplace. Right. But we know that they're on the platform, there's things that Iger needs to do. So we have yes. television needs to clean up. We have assets he needs to clean up. We have a platform needs to clean up. Yep. Parks might be the easiest thing to clean up because it's basically just get bodies to show up and eat churros. Let's not 
Let's not pillage them and their pocketbook because they do it, right? The big thing was that was the sort of the pricing strategy is to try to manage the crowds because there are so many people that want to go to Disney. And the pricing strategy was a way to try to limit that. But I think other things have slipped as a regard, like the experience of Disney has sort of lost a little bit of its magic. It doesn't feel like the special place it once was. And there you've got a lot of loyalists who are sort of balking at the prices they've got to pay. So there's a lot of work he has got to do there. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But yeah, you're, you pretty much nailed pretty much everything that I think that he needs to do. And then the last thing is, I'm going to guess the whole idea of Disney becoming a metaverse world is that's going to be dropped, right? The When the strategy team that formulated that as an idea yeah. is walking out the door, that's going to be probably put on pause for a while. Yeah, take probably. Care the, uh, you got to focus on yourself. the core product first before you start breaking out into sort of metaverses and whatnot. And no Disney ship has sunk in the last couple of years. If we can just keep the ships floating on the seas with not any major issues. <laughs> and they're no launching a brand new one, I think, next, next year. It's, it's supposed to be like sure. their best cruise ship yet. But no coronavirus so, outbreaks, no, no, you know, port issues or whatever. No more, no more global pandemics, and hopefully it'll be smooth sailing. This is almost again like an exciting time to be understanding and covering this stuff. Yeah, it I, is. I'm a, a little disappointed that they stepped backwards to Iger. Totally get the move because they have to play confidence. But there is opportunities for things to step forward. And let's go yeah. back to some of the very first episodes we talked about. The things that we know are true that haven't been leveraged. Also, there's something that happened with the Paramount uh, decree yep. that we thought Disney was big part of. And that's where the theaters, the distributors, and the content makers can do something together. Yep. I'm going to say the team that put that in place is coming back. So we might see some big moves there. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that Iger has yeah. said he doesn't think it's going to go back to the way theatrical is going to go back the way it was pre-pandemic, then he recognized that something has to be done. Yeah. And he'll play his cards there that he can. Yeah. Um, and we know that we know that Disney will always survive. We're just looking for it to be the force that it has opportunity yeah. to, to be. And again, early thought here and probably last thought here is there's a moment to say, let's not have the old guard run the studios anymore. So this might be a yes. chance for the young guard, the new content makers and new programmers that are out there to start thinking differently, making content differently. And who knows, we might be taking on TikTok from Disney in the near future because yeah, that's the opportunity that's there. <laughs> Yeah, I just hope Iger, you know, I, I think one of the first thing is they need to put together a sort of a list of successors and get on that ASAP because that person's going to need to follow around Iger for the next as much as possible. And hopefully it'll be somebody who's on the younger side and not, you know, the same old, same old person who's been working in Hollywood for 30 years because we really need some some fresh thinking to really propel the industry forward. So, Bob, when you're listening, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm available on either, either platform. <laughs> Happy to go to work for you. I'll bring Keith along with me. Keith will oh, not thanks. be the cream, cream Daniel of my enterprise. Keith will become the Bob Iger of my thought process there. here oh, and like, building like up that. the future, the strategists nice. that we need to be there. And to uh, together, we will break this Hollywood for That's you, right. So call and get a hold of us because we know you're watching, Bob. You know, it's totally Kareem didn't He's watch. A big fan. And Bob, too. You never answer our phone calls, but we know you're the one. You're the one listening to us. So oh, tune in it. here. All right. Well, I'm glad we got through this special edition because we just couldn't sit on this for a week and a half waiting for the no, happen. So. Could not sit on a week for a week and a half. Absolutely not. Have a great holiday you with too, you and your family. Safe that travels likewise. to you as you do it. And Lydia, thanks for dra dragging the team into this thing at last minute. You guys are amazing. Go, Lydia. All that you have going on for us. We appreciate you. We couldn't do it without you. 
Um, and to you listening, please send us comment, make the things happen, subscribe. Let's talk about this. This is a great opportunity for us to understand what's happening in content. Clearly, some waves are going to happen from this. Probably some slowdowns. So the creative's going to win now. The good stories are going to be handpicked, not just making content for everyone in the crap zone that has been there for years. So this is a great opportunity for you creatives to find that, understand what makes a difference. If you don't know where to get the information, get the information from right there. This guy sitting next to me. Vision Craft Brew is a place they can strategize and making this stuff happen. But we got to make a difference now. This is a great moment. Let's make that difference. Wow. Amen to that. All right, Mr. Man. Have a great trip. (laughs) Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you. Later.